Welcome to Focus on the Family with Focus President and author Jim Daly, along with family psychologist Dr. Julie Slattery. I'm John Fuller, and today's broadcast, we have Cynthia Tobias talking about teaching our children while identifying their learning styles. Look how early Deuteronomy chapter 6, it talked about teaching your children, you know, put tie a string around their finger, teach them as you're walking and as yeah. you're talking, write it on their forehead. I mean, they knew learning styles <laughs> right. back in Deuteronomy. And yet, uh, again, I, we fall into the trap so often of doing what works for us and what's easy for us and more convenient for us when we sometimes lose sight that it's not about us. Well, it's pretty obvious that we all have different ways of looking at things. And sometimes those differences can be frustrating especially when they occur between you and your child. It's so important that we as parents know how our kids are wired, how they think, how they respond, uh, to understand what makes them tick if we're going to help them really learn in school and reach their full potential. Our guest today knows a lot about that because she has identical twin sons, and they aren't identical at all when it comes to their personality and temperament. Cynthia Tobias writes and speaks in the field of learning and communication styles. She's written several books, including the two that we're going to talk about today, The Way They Learn, and also the title Every Child Can Succeed. And she's been on this broadcast a number of times before to discuss learning styles, and those were well-received conversations. Now, Jim and Dr. Slattery sat down with Cynthia to revisit the topic, and here's how they began. Cynthia, one of the things uh, that people who talk about parenting styles, it's always good to kind of see the fruit of the labor there. And uh, when you wrote your first book, uh, I think your twin boys were only three years old. Now they're in college. That's right. How's it worked? It's it's been great. You know, I've told people there isn't anything in either one of those books that hasn't worked. Um, Now, different things work for different times and different boys. But as far as the the timeless truths of the research and what it's based on has been an amazing help to me and to so many people. When we look at our children as parents, uh, why are they so different? I mean, you'd think they're coming from the same parents. Come on. They should be similar. That's right, yeah, because once in a while a parent will turn to the other one and say, where did we get this Yeah, one? right. Um, I, I think, you know, I think God does that on purpose, and I tell people uh, around the world when I speak to parents, I said, I know sometimes you don't think so, but whether it's biological or by adoption, I believe, truly believe, that God gives you every child very deliberately, and he has a plan in mind, and he has you in mind as a parent that you're up to this challenge, mm. and, you know, some parents like Mother Teresa will say, I wish God hadn't trusted me this much (laughs) because it's so frustrating. But I believe they're different by plan and by design. Well, Mm. Cynthia, you have twins. And so you think if any siblings would be alike, it would be twins. Uh, When did you first start to discover that your two boys are very different learners? Well, this will sound weird, but from in the womb. You know, they were just so different. They were in totally different places, and they reacted to different things. And, you know, I was reading all the books before the twins were born, and I knew I was in for it because here God had given me my own in-home laboratory um, for what my work was. They're only two minutes apart. They look like Pete and repeat, and yet they are just as different as night and day from the standpoint of their learning style, how they process information. Are they identical twins? They're, they're 80% chance that they are. You know, mm-hmm. it was one of those, those odd things, but I believe they are identical. And they certainly look alike again very much, even now, as sophomores in college. They could play tricks on their, their teachers, I'm they sure. They can. They've thought about that. 
Hey, Cynthia, you mentioned there about learning styles. Let's talk about that for a minute. Um, my two boys, Trent and Troy, are very different. Trent's the oldest. He's nine, and he's black and white. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is a, a kind of a rigid thinker in that way. He Everything to him, it's about the rules. You know, Troy, his little brother, he'll come to us and say, Troy's broken the rule. And uh, Troy, on the other hand, is kind of my freewheeling social butterfly, just loves life and that's that's typical, isn't it, it of, is typical. of families? And uh, talk about that modality, what you see in personality. Give us the breakdown of what you've learned over the years. Well, one of the things that we realized from the very beginning is that we see the world in very different ways. I mean, a lot of parents who are listening even now, you married somebody who was totally opposite of you. I don't know about yeah. you. I, I no, certainly did. And then you, at first you think it's a refreshing perspective. But on a day-to-day basis, <laughs> like the no matter... Like toothpaste and all right. that stuff, right? Day-to-day, that's no matter, called dating. <laughs> no matter how much you love the person, it's not that refreshing because you are living proof that your way works. And and I think that's a normal thing. And it's, and if you're the parent and that's the child, you want them to do the way that you already know works. Mm. And so it's it's this constant tension. And, and one of the most freeing things is to realize they're not me and they're not like me, but I do have accountability. I am the parent. I need to teach them and to train them in the way they should go. But I have to take into account how God designed them. How is their mind designed in order to understand and process information? You know, I might have a child that needs talking, and I don't like to talk, so they wear me out with too much talking. But I have to realize if my point is and my accountability is they need to learn and remember, then I need to adjust and they need to adjust. You've touched on Proverbs 22, 6, I believe mm-hmm. the scripture is, uh, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's older, he will not depart from it. Tell us what you've learned out of that scripture specifically. Well, I remember early on when I was was teaching the seminars out there at McCord Air Force Bay, this, the chaplain, many years ago, he was a Greek and Hebrew scholar, and he said, you might be interested to know that the word in the original text for Proverbs 22.6 for train up a child was the word that they used when the baby was first born to clear the mucus out of the mouth so he could breathe. He said the literal translation is create an environment for life. Mm. And then if you look in the Amplified Bible, that Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go and according to his individual gifts or bents. So if we look at both of those combined, it's really create an environment for life for your child mm. according to his individual so gifts or bents. So that child can thrive, in right. other words. Um, and does it mean you let them do whatever they want? Of course not. It right. means that there's accountability, but it means that you provide for them what God, how God created them, you provide a way for them to figure out their strengths, to use their strengths in the right direction. Mm. Well, it seems logical that the first step in this is really to study your children mm-hmm. and to start identifying, oh, this is how this one learns, this is how this one processes. How do you begin that other than just the natural, he's a talker, <laughs> she's a thinker, that yeah. sort of thing? Well, you know, early on, I... When in my master's degree, when I was, I, I sort of rented a place on the intellectual cul-de-sac where few people live and even fewer people visit, stayed with really solid empirical research. But I knew that my calling was to go out and talk to busy, frustrated parents who need this stuff in bite-sized pieces. They don't want to have to read a whole lot of things and figure out what are the tests I have to give my kids. And, you know, the really good news is you don't have to be a scientist or a psychologist to figure out your child. Mm. You watch, you observe, you, you ask yourself when are they happiest when when do they seem most fulfilled and most satisfied and then you see if you can duplicate that in other areas and can you teach them about well 
You know, I notice you do better when you're talking to your sister about it. Maybe in your homework, you need a study buddy. What if you worked with somebody else? What if we could try that? And so you don't really have to be real scientific about it. You just have to be aware of what actually works. Do you think parents, and I think Gene and I do this at times, I don't know about you and Mike, Julie, but um, sometimes you, your gut is telling you the right thing, but you don't have the confidence to act on it, and so months right. may go by. Is that typical or common? It is typical, and I, I think much of that is because as educators, we've led parents to believe that maybe they don't know as much as we do. And, and, and really, parents know much more about their kids than educators do. And so if we're both going for the same thing, parents should trust their instincts in many ways. But they should ask, you know, I tell parents, if your child says, I want to do homework on the floor, listening to music, you know, drinking um, a cup of ice water um, and having a little nutritious snack, could I at least do that? And they say, no, 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 you have to be at the desk and have to do that. I say, just tell your child, look, if you prove it works, I'm going to give you a couple, three days to prove it works. And in three or four days, if your homework's getting turned in, I'm going to let you keep doing what you said you needed because you could prove to me it works. It takes a lot of pressure off the parent, mm -hmm. and it puts the responsibility on the child to say, well, what do I need? How does my mind work? Yeah. We're talking with Cynthia Tobias, author of two great books published by Focus on the Family. The first, uh, The Way They Learn, and also Every Child Can Succeed. And it's great to have Cynthia back at the microphones after a long time, actually. It's, it's great to have while, you back. Yeah. And let me ask this question. The uh, you know, in essence, what's the bottom line uh, that we as moms and dads need to know to help our kids succeed? I mean, you've written about it, Cynthia. Mm -hmm. What is it that, uh, I guess, what are we aiming for to help our child succeed? And then what gets in our way as parents to not allow that to happen? I think we need to know our child. Um, and we need to focus on strengths. You can't build on weakness. And really, education, the way it's been set up forever, is you know, we get notes home that says your child needs help in this and help in that and needs more work in here. But how about the things that say, here's what your child really seems good at. Here's what he really seems to love to do. Here's what she just really excels in. So as parents, sometimes we can forget that it really is about strengths. Um, it's about what they can do much more than what they can't do. And I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of kids over the last few years. And my latest book, The I Hate School Book, I talked to hundreds of kids and asked them, why do you say that you hate school? And one of their biggest things was, nobody focuses on strengths and, and mm. nobody focuses on us. You know, we run schools uh, for the convenience of those who administer them and teach, not for the effectiveness of those who learn. So I think it's absolutely critical that we switch our focus. And if we want our kids to thrive in school and survive school and keep on learning, we have to help them First of all, we have to help us know who they are and then help them know who they are. Now, the reality of it is, and this has been happening for generations upon generations, you've got to deal with life. So let's say I do have one kid who just, I would just say, school is not his thing. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like to sit still. He's very imaginative. Uh, some of the modalities of learning that you've identified, like the visual and kinesthetic, mm -hmm. those are more him. And so he sits in a classroom with 20-something kids and kind of stares off in space. He has trouble with organization, but it's life. And to what extent do we accommodate kids like that and say, well, you kind of get a pass because you don't learn like other kids do 
And to what extent do we say, I know it's not easy for you, but there are a lot of things in life. You have to drive on the right side of the road, and you have to pay your taxes, and you have to work through disagreements even though it's uncomfortable. So where do we push kids to just adapt to what is expected of them, but to what extent do we start to accommodate their strengths and weaknesses? Well, a few years ago, I kind of made a shift because at one of the mandatory high school teacher training meetings, you know, there was the row in the back where the arms were folded and teachers going, I've taught like this 25 years, I'm not going to change. And so I said to them, you don't have to change. We're just going to teach the kids how to deal with you. Because <laughs> the bottom good. line is, when, when I go in and I talk to a lot of high school kids and I say, you know what, there'll be times when a teacher will understand your learning style and will work to help you accommodate. That'll be a great gift because it won't happen that often. When you graduate from high school, sometimes the world will do just what you want it to. Hardly ever, though. So here's what you need to do as a student. You need to take charge of your own success. You need to know your strengths. You need to know what works and what doesn't work, and then you need to be able to prove it works. So when your son walks into a classroom and he realizes, "Uh uh-oh, I'm uncomfortable, this isn't who I am, I don't like anything about it, if he knows his strengths and he understands his learning style, he has two choices. He can give up or he can sort of work down a checklist thinking, oh, oh, I'm going to have to work in the morning, I bet, and if I could get a study buddy, and he can check, 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 how am I going to survive it? How am I going to get through it? So that we can actually shift responsibility to our kids for their own learning and the rest of their life they won't be daunted or conquered by anything. Cynthia, you, we've touched a bit on the learning style. Let's go through there. So for all of us parents, can you help <laughs> us uh, with that? The first is auditory. Give right. us the reminder, refresh the meaning of that. And of course the reminder is too that everybody has everything. It's pieces of a puzzle. It's really not boxes. It's pieces of a puzzle in different sizes. But the auditory child and the auditory parent for that matter, they learn best by hearing but not by hearing other people talk to them. As a rule, they learn best by hearing themselves talk to them, which means that if you have an auditory child, an auditory child, they don't actually remember anything till they've talked about it, asked questions about it, interrupted you in the middle of your conversation about it. They get in trouble in school for talking too much, asking questions without raising your hand. They actually have to hear their own voice, mm. discuss it, and then it finally sinks in. And these are the kids that... You know, the the population, according to the research, is only about 25%, but the ones that are auditory, they just seem like they never shut up sometimes. But it's a gift. It's a strength. So as a parent, that's what you would identify. You're looking for the chatty child. If you've got a chatty child, that could be an auditory learner. It's a good, and a good way to find out is ask them questions and then actually let them talk and answer you back. Because if they can talk their way through a process... Sometimes they really get it. I've got one of those at home, and I just remember when he was three or four years old, he would never stop. <laughs> How does that the, make you feel, Julie? Oh, man, he's in the back of the car just <laughs> blah, 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 blah. thinking he's wearing the Oh, out. I mean, you get to the point where yeah. you just kind of nod your head and say yes to everything because you can't listen to it all. Uh, right. But now I see how... As he's grown, that processing is really important. But I didn't get that when he was a preschooler. I just thought God was testing my patience. But you as a parent, you need to be careful that you don't kind of interrupt that style and say, you know, don't interrupt me. Don't don't speak so much. It's normal for a parent to do that, isn't it? Right. And there's a balance. Obviously, there's a balance because they can't talk all the time in class either. But sometimes if you just make sure that you consciously give them short periods of the, the time that they have to listen without talking and then short periods where they get to react then they'll be quiet more when you need them to be knowing that they don't have to wait a whole long time before they can talk or ask you a question and for you as a parent it's important to understand this is how your child's processing 
So you, right. it gives you a little patience if you understand that. And the reverse is the, the parent who's highly auditory can be very frustrated with the child who isn't because mm. his child seems very uncommunicative, right. won't talk, ask him a question, they <laughs> give you one-word answers, and uh, you're going, why don't you talk? Because I would talk, mm-hmm. but, but here it is, maybe this child is n- another kind, maybe more visual. Now, is it still important? I just had a weekend of camping with my two boys, and we had that incidence. Our older child is not as communicative as he could be, in my Mm -hmm. mind, and we had that sit-down. I said, Trent, I need to hear from your heart. You're frustrated. Tell me what's happening. And he wouldn't speak. He was just frustrated, and that's a style that he tends to have. He's more inward. Right. Or sometimes, you know, the maybe he's more visual. I'm a more visual kid, so I didn't talk that much, but I was thinking it. I could write it, you know, I could, like, put it on a post-it note, or I could write you a note, or I could put something on a whiteboard. Or, right. If I could That's write true. it, I could communicate with you in writing much more comfortably than I could communicate with you off the cuff. Mm. So if I have an auditory child, how do I help translate that into success? Uh, let's say we're doing math together. Uh, do I have them talk out? Three times eight is, is 24. Or how do you put that into practice? Sometimes, and it depends on the age of the child, but from about fourth or fifth grade on, you, you could ask them, say, look, I know that it helps you to talk. How could we use that? Hmm. Um, and and what, what do you think would help you in your homework to actually do it and let them come up with some ideas? The next one is visual. Uh, let's talk about that daughter for a moment <laughs> since we all have boys, but that little girl who's a visual learner, describe that child for us. Well, she's, she's picturing things right away as soon as you talk. And so if you aren't showing her what you mean, she's making up her own picture for it, which usually isn't the right thing. Um, but she's got a vivid imagination, and she's also tuning into a lot of visual cues. Wow, the teacher's you know, wearing something that doesn't match. Um, mm-hmm. You're talking about something that I don't understand, I can't get a picture for. One classic thing with visuals, with the parents get frustrated. You know, you tell your visual child, I need you to go downstairs, I need you to pick up that mug that's in front of the toaster and take it out and put it on the patio table. And so as a visual, you know, I'm going, okay. And then as soon as I turn around, I realize, I don't have any idea what what my mom just said, but I don't want to go back and ask because then she'll just tell me again, slower and louder. So I go down and do what I think she said. Now, what you could do for me as a visual child is help me picture as you go. Say, I need you to go downstairs, you know, right, right to the right of the sink, right in front of the toaster, that blue cup. Give me a second as I'm in my visual mind. I'm picturing that. I need you to take that. I need you to walk out to the patio and that white round table. I need you to put the mug on that. And then I turn around and do it because I have to be able to see it in my mind in order for me to actually do it. Mm. And your quick verbal directions, even yelled several times, aren't going to help me. Mm-hmm. We've talked about auditory learning style and visual learning style. A third is the kinesthetic kinesthetic yeah and it's probably one of the most challenging but there's like 45 percent of the population that this is a huge puzzle piece for them and the reason it's a huge puzzle piece is that they were born to move born to so this move. is just bubbling energy it's, well it's, it's not always i mean they may not always be hyperactive but their mind is always going and they want to touch things they want to experience things and they have very little patience for sitting and listening to a lot or writing a lot they want to go okay great let's just do that well, well, one, well, let's just do it then. Well, what's the bottom line? So in other words, what? And they're going to walk into your room and go, what's this? And, and pick up this and mess with this. And you go, look, put it down. Stop it. Where does this door go? <laughs> so don't is this the most door. frustrating style, perhaps? It is to those who don't understand it. Right. Um, or sometimes even to those who do, because you realize, you know, I'm a highly kinesthetic person along with visual. And if you really want to communicate with me, sitting me in a chair and talking to me is only going to make me think about moving. <laughs> 
And so if you walk with me and talk with me as you communicate with me, or if I'm in a chair that turns and I've got a way that I can be moving while you're talking to me, mm. I'm getting it. But if I have to look at you and not move, I guarantee all I'm thinking about is how soon can I move? I was wondering why you're wiggling so much in the chair today. <laughs> I am. I'm just so practically speaking, <laughs> for the parent that has a child uh, like this, uh, what are some tips that they can improve their child's concentration and, and focus. Have them do homework on a treadmill. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> That'd be good. Look for ways that even while they're working, they can be moving and don't make them stop, you know, as they're tapping their foot. Stop that. Stop tapping your foot. So standing up it could is be standing okay. Up. It could be taking frequent breaks. It could be sitting in a chair that moves. It could be that I just, just shift my position a lot. I know uh, one concrete example that comes to my mind in the school that our boys go to, uh, they have one classmate who is active that way. Mm -hmm. And I think the parents engage the teacher and talk to the teacher, can this child, can our child uh, stand up in the back of the classroom at times? And the teacher okay. agreed that would be fine as long as there were boundaries and mm -hmm. the, the child was engaged. That's great parental Involvement, isn't it? Go Absolutely. to the teacher, talk about it. And we've done some some interesting classroom makeovers in Tucson, Arizona, at, at a Christian school there. They have actually, in the fourth grade classroom, they have exercise balls with seats on them. You can get them from Office Depot and the office places like that, where kids have a chance, if they want to sit on the exercise ball, they can. We at, at my boys' high school, we actually traded the desks that were very uncomfortable for ergonomic office chairs and tables. And then in the back, you can get in a restaurant supply store, those tall tables that they mm -hmm. have. And kids can, if they're really restless during the, the class, they can get up, take their book back there, stand at that table, and keep writing notes and keep listening. And what we found is there's an incredible, incredible improvement in their attention if they can move, which is just the opposite of what we're thinking. If they're moving, they're not paying attention. But if we say, if you can prove you're paying attention, then I'm going to let you keep moving. You have to prove it works. It all goes back to that. You know, whether as parents or teachers, we're so frustrated because we think we can't let kids just do whatever they feel like. That's right. But what if we define for them what it is we're going for and we say, if you can prove that you can accomplish this, I'm going to encourage you to try ways that work for you. Because that way, when you do get to a classroom or a situation that isn't fitting you, you'll at least have some resources at home. You'll realize this isn't because I'm dumb. This isn't because I'm the, the teacher doesn't like me. I have other resources within me knowing what I'm like. And Cynthia, the, the biblical <laughs> application to all this is the Lord makes us different like the flowers of a field. I mean, we're, we're his creation. We're unique in every way. And we're uh, we do fall into certain groups and types that way, right. uh, as how, you said. Look how early, Deuteronomy chapter 6, that talked about teaching your children, you know, put tie a string around their finger, teach them as you're walking and as yeah. you're talking, write it on their forehead. I mean, they knew learning styles <laughs> right. back in Deuteronomy. And yet, uh, again, I, we fall into the trap so often of doing what works for us and what's easy for us and more convenient for us when we sometimes lose sight that it's not about us, that if we're really focusing on our children that it's more important to help them figure out how they learn so that the rest of their lives they can than to have a few moments of peace at the table. Well, Cynthia, we have just scratched the surface. We need to keep going and uh, air another show next time. Will you stick with us? Absolutely. And let's do that. Cynthia Tobias, author of Every Child Can Succeed and also The Way They Learn. Uh, great content. I'd encourage every parent out there, or if uh, you're a grandparent, uh, pick this up for your kids so that uh, they can teach your grandchildren uh, in the way they should go. So, Cynthia, let's, uh, let's keep moving. Absolutely. All right. 
Earlier, when we started this Focus on the Family broadcast, you might have had knots in your stomach just thinking about your child at school and some of the challenges. Uh, I've got one daughter staying up till 10, 30, or 11 doing schoolwork. Um, It can be frustrating, can't it? But I hope you're feeling better about some of those things now that you've heard this discussion with Cynthia Tobias. Our program today was provided by Focus on the Family, and on behalf of Jim Daly, Dr. Julie Slattery, and the entire broadcast team, Thanks for listening in. I'm John Fuller. Well, as most kids head back to school this week, I hope this broadcast has been encouraging to you. Uh, There were so many good suggestions to apply to kids that might not be fitting into the normal school mode. Cynthia offered such hope that any child can be empowered to grasp confusing concepts stay interested in lessons, and be successful in school. Now, the book that Jim mentioned is available from us at Focus. It's called Every Child Can Succeed, and it'll provide some encouraging perspective for you if you're concerned about helping your child really dial into the educational process. You can get your copy when you call us on 031-716-3300, or find it on our website at safamily.co.za. While you're on the site, also look out for our parenting assessment, which will give you a really good overview of what's working well in your family and some insights about ways that you might want to improve going forward. And from the site, you can also listen to this program again or share it with friends. All of that is at safamily.co.za. Thanks for tuning in today. For Focus on the Family Africa, I'm Alison Schnell, inviting you back next time when we'll, as always, help you and your family thrive in Christ.